So today, as kids head down, and as Matthew has mentioned, we are entering uh, a new liturgical season. It's called Epiphany, the one I was least familiar about going in. But this is a season, if you've been following along, we've been doing this liturgical calendar. This is season number three for us so far. Uh, And so I figured it was a good time to do a quick liturgical year recap. We, uh, Advent began our year. We, We claimed a new year dawns, not with us hitting the ground running, having to improve, will ourselves to some better version of ourselves. Instead, it was... It's four weeks of waiting and hoping. We had a New Year's countdown that ended 25. And then we waited for the Lord. And then Christmas came, and and that wasn't just a day, but a season. It's 12 days of celebrating Christmas, which if you were able to celebrate Christmas for 12 days, that is an impressive feat. It is, you know, we always want to have these uplifting things, but you really get after it for Christmas for 12 days. That's real deal. But that's what it invites us to do, to enjoy and rejoice and live in awe and wonder that God's with us. We just got to sit in that. That was what God called us to do, sit in that and take it in. And, and then last Monday began this season of Epiphany. And Epiphany, it's, it's a concerted effort to notice how God reveals himself to us, how to, to notice how God is at work in our lives. And so, so what we have, if we were to put it all together, what we have is a month of, of waiting, and then 12 days of celebrating, and now it's the whole focus is about six to eight weeks, depending on the year, of noticing. And maybe, maybe you were able to really take it seriously, or maybe this is the first time you've given it any thought, but I want you to, to look up at that and just see how different it is from the way the world tells us we need to live. This is all we were called to do. This was our focus, to wait and then to celebrate, and now we get to go out and just look. That's not, that's not even how I approach work or something like that. Even with faith here, it often feels like I need to go out and do X, Y, or Z. But so far this year, we've been called to these other things. And so part of the reason we're doing the liturgical year is that we think it is a way to order how we think about our life in a way that is life-giving. And that is, that's the hope as we move into Epiphany. And we're going to do that through a scripture in Matthew 2. But as we approach God's word, will you uh, join me in prayer? Lord, we have already proclaimed in song our prayer for this morning. We've said that your song deserves our praise. That it is your presence that we desire. And so, Lord, we pray boldly as we have sung to show us who you are, to fill us with your heart so that we, you, you might lead us in love towards others. Do this, Lord, 
through your word so we might leave here changed people. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So our scripture today, like I said, is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the story of the Magi. It's a traditional epiphany text. Listen for God's word for each of us today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where was the Messiah was to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to give, go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you uh, seen or, or read Lord of the Rings? Yeah, it's pretty popular. If you haven't, you, you probably still know it's about, there's a ring involved. Uh, it's the ring that, that Frodo, for most of at least the trilogy portion, carries around. And as, as the story goes, the more someone holds on to, onto this ring, the more it, it isolates the person from, from other people. But what's weird is the more they are isolated, the more obsessed they become with the ring. And it, it, it ends up, it's a, it's a metaphor of sorts for sin, but I used to think that it was weird. I just, I didn't, I didn't connect to that understanding of sin. I used to think of it as like, sin is just my propensity to do these bad things, not this thing that almost like pulls me in a certain direction. But then this week, as I was, as I was thinking about this text, I, I couldn't help, I started thinking of all these ways that that exact Lord of the Rings situation, that it plays out in my own life. Like, for instance, have you noticed how it's precisely when we feel insecure in our parenting abilities that we tend to over-parent, lean in, or, or how work more easily becomes an idol in our life 
precisely when our job isn't providing the meaning that we hoped that it would. Or, or when we feel lonely and disconnected, our instinct is to pull away more, to actually continue on that same path. Our default is rarely to stop and move in a new direction. Instead, it seems like it's constantly to improve our life in whatever direction we're already headed. You know, how, do, how does that saying go? You, you find yourself in a hole, what are you supposed to do? Stop digging, right? That's the first rule of holes. Find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Yeah, we don't normally do that. At best, we ask God for a more efficient shovel, right? But listen, we shouldn't feel bad. We're in, we're in good company. King Herod does the same thing. Okay, maybe good company is the wrong choice of words. We're in historic company. Historic company. Because King Herod, he's like us. The more insecure he is in his role as the king of Israel, the more desperate he is to keep that role. Herod seems to know his hold on power. It's tenuous. That this title he gets his worth from will not always be enough. And yet when an opportunity for salvation, it shows up at his door, does Herod join the Magi in, in search of the Messiah? No, Herod turns back to the thing that will never fully give him life, and he doubles down on it. If we injected Herod with true serum, he'd probably say something like, being king has revealed my need for a savior. Therefore, being king is my only path to being saved. It's bad logic, but it's pretty common human logic. Got something in my eye. As W.H. Auden famously wrote, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. That is a quote right there. You can go home, you can chew on that one all week. But friends, this is where the season of epiphany shows up in our life as a gift. Epiphany offers us what I think is the only off-ramp to dig in deeper in the same hole. And that's because it invites us to stop obsessing about ourselves and become about looking for the Lord. And this is described no more beautifully than in the story of the Magi. These guys, they are outsiders, probably from Persia, but certainly not Jewish. And yet they notice something peculiar in the night sky and they take a risk. For them, nothing about looking for Jesus would logically support whatever their old life was. But they don't care. For some reason, something has moved in them where they just want to go and look for Jesus. They want to see the Lord. 
And this focus and purpose has freed them from the endless effort to manufacture their own meaning, to solve their own problems, to, to just keep moving through whatever their direction is. The Magi are willing to be humble and patient. They're willing to learn, be open to something new. And they end up being changed by an encounter with the Savior of the world because of it. The story ends by saying they returned to their own country by another route. They find a new way. So on the one side, we have Herod. And then on the other side, we got the Magi. And if I was to sum up these two mindsets from this passage, I'd say the, that one wants to apply Jesus to their life. And if they can't apply Jesus to their life, then they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And the other wants to see Jesus and allow that encounter to give them new life. Whereas Herod's mindset, it leads to anxiety and selfishness and violence. The Magi's perspective, it produces a life of joy and worship and generosity. And so for the second half of our time together, I just want to run through those starkly different outcomes, those starkly different visions of life, not in the hopes of convincing you or explaining you how it should look, but, but just so that we can feel invited to use the Magi's perspective as our framework during this epiphany season to say, that's actually what I want to be about. That's the kind of life I want. And so the first thing I want to look at is, is this anxiety versus joy. Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm, going, I'm probably going out on a limb here, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Have you ever heard about or experienced someone doing something faithful and it bothers you? Kind of irks you a, a, a little bit, almost makes you mad? Like, Somebody forgives someone and you're like not happy about it or or they're generous and you find out they're generous and the emotions you're feeling are not good emotions. Somebody is hospitable, has a great party or or invites someone to live with them. And all you can think of is this is a terrible idea. This is the worst. Am I, am I alone? I know I'm not alone. Here's one. Maybe this will do it. Somebody takes Sabbath. Oh, what kind of ego do you have to have to just rest? Oh, privileged life. Ridiculous. Taking Sabbath. I know I'm not alone. I know it's a real thing because of Ezekiel. Uh, he gives up asking people to keep Sabbath, and, and he ends up telling them basically what I'm talking about. He tells them, just don't despise the Sabbath. That's what he is. That is in Scripture. Like, I've lowered the bar. Just stop getting angry about good things. That's what I would like from you. That's what Ezekiel says. But in an applied faith, it, it leads us to live lives that actually grow anxious when confronted with good news. For the simple reason that you can't actually apply the gospel. It's a, it's a round hole with a square peg situation, and it leaves us frustrated. With the gospel, you can only submit to it. Like the Magi, you can only claim 
this is what I'm going to look for. This is what I'm seeking. In applied faith, it, it, apply, it provides no rest. There's, there's always more to do. Only Jesus, that's what we sang, only Jesus gives us a place to stop and to rejoice. Miroslav Volf once wrote, without gratitude, we cannot feel at home. Without that ability to find what we have been looking for and to be thankful, it's the only place we're going to find that joy. And that's what a desire to see Jesus sets us up for. Our scripture says, when the star finally stops over where Jesus is, the magi are overjoyed. Then we have selfishness versus worship. When we're in that application mode, that digging mode, like this needs to help me be better at the hole that I'm getting after, even the most helpful tip, even the best support, it's only going to lead us to think more about ourselves. It's, it's called self-help for a reason. It's about the self. It's about us. And in a faith context, this selfishness has quite a, a weird byproduct. Our, when we are all about just applying that faith, our faith, it becomes so personalized. We need Jesus for such specific things that it actually requires an expert to navigate. In a selfish world, worship requires professional help. People like me. It's, it's like how someone with specific financial goals needs a financial manager. And I mean that in a good way, I'm supporting that. Like, if you have these very specific things that you need, you probably can't get there on your own. You need someone to come and help you and say, this is what you need to do, because it's, it's so personalized. And it's the same with faith, because it requires an expert to help us believe in God, but not need him to be Lord of our life. You want the gospel to cater to your agenda? That takes professional skill to nuance. Herod is the king of Israel. But he needs to call in the scribes and teachers of the law to answer where the king of Israel is going to be born. But friends, this does not have to be us. Any of us can be a worshipful people. The Magi know nothing of Jesus or the Jewish faith. I mean, these dudes are into astrology. They are not biblical scholars. They did not go to seminary. Yet because they are open to the Lord, because they desire to see him, they easily become people of worship. In fact, do you know how bad the preacher can be when you simply show up here looking for Jesus? The Magi are taught scriptures by a bunch of guys who have no interest in Jesus. And those guys still teach the Magi effectively. They still point them in the right direction. That's how bad you can be. But because the Magi are open and willing to learn, even those dudes are able to preach effectively. And so maybe you say, you know, I, you know this has been you, like, I don't know how to pray, so I just don't do it, or uh, 
you know, I'm too busy to really get involved in works of justice, or I can't understand scripture, I don't know how to live a life that's worship. Well, how is this for an answer for you, for at least this season, From right? Give those things up. That's what I'm going to tell you. Don't worry about praying. Give it up. Forget it. Scripture, put it to the side. You're not good at it? That's fine. But only do it, only do it, if you're saying we're willing to go look for Jesus. Don't even worry about those things. You don't have to be an expert. Just go look for the Lord. At least for this season of Epiphany. For Epiphany, just go out looking for where God reveals himself. And you do that, and God does show up, I guarantee you, you will come back here with a desire to more fully worship the Lord. You will say, I have just encountered something and I want to know more. I'm actually interested in the scripture. I want to get back there. How do I pray? It will light a fire in you. Like the Magi, you will ask about scripture. You will want to know it. For when Jesus is our focus, worship, it just becomes a natural skill. No expertise required. All right, last one, this generosity versus violence. Herod, he takes this to the extreme in the next passage when he, when he kills a bunch of babies. But, uh, but many of us, including Herod, are, are violent towards others in far subtler ways. When our faith is focused on ourselves and how, how Jesus can help us, even our seemingly kind actions, they have ulterior motives. We can become hostile towards others even when we do nice things. Herod, he, he brings the Magi into a private meeting. He helps them on their way. He invites them to return. But his hospitality has no love in it. He's only thinking of himself. In applied faith, his generosity is just another tool at our disposal. But the Magi are intentionally and spontaneously generous because they not only searched for Jesus they also expected to find him they came prepared they brought gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and so when this joy overtook them when they responded to the Lord in worship they were ready to do what felt natural which was to shower Jesus with gifts for the magi, magi generosity, it, is, it was the fruit of trust. is an opportunity that they had been hoping for. And so, so listen, you want, a, you want a good way to figure out your giving for 2020? Not just here, but anywhere. Say, I am going to go out and search for the Lord. And if I find him, if I encounter the living God, here's what I'm going to give him. This is what I'm going to give him. Not I'm going to give this because it's extra at the end of the year. I'm going to give this because it's out of duty. But if I encounter the Lord, here's what I'm prepared to offer of my time, my tithe, my talents, my money. Friends, I'm telling you, we connect our generosity to Jesus, it will feel like what it is, a response to grace 
in an investment in the kingdom. So there you go. On the one hand, anxiety, selfishness, violence, harm towards others. And then on the other one, we got joy, inability to live a worshipful life, and a hope to be generous. Which way do you want to go? We have till February 26. That's Ash Wednesday this year. What do you say? Let's go look for the Lord. Let's go look for the Lord. Let's trust that we will encounter him. Let's choose the way of joy, worship, and generosity. Let's leave here a different way. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm so grateful for this season of epiphany to remind me, hopefully to remind us, how simple your gospel is. That we don't need to be experts. Our life doesn't have to look a certain way. But for some reason, something in our heart simply has to pull us to want to see and be with you. And so God, this morning I pray that that might be our focus in this season. In everything we do, we might go looking for you. Trusting we will find you. And coming back here to gather together to proclaim the joy we have felt, to worship together, and to live as generous people. Thank you for this new way of life you have offered us. May we go and